Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by coordination.com, hosted on jitterymonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. And if you didn't get the overwhelming social media spamming uh, towards the end of last week and over the weekend, you can get a coordination or a, or a I should say a Five Heart Podcast shirt over on jitterymonkey.com slash shop. And you can also get an Iowa Sucks shirt. Uh, and they're going to stay up there year round. And we already have shirt designs in the works for next year. For when next year. For, for next year. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, but go to jitterymonkey.com slash shop and support the show, support the network, support me because I've poured a lot of uh, personal out-of-pocket uh, money into this uh, podcast network. And uh, it's time to start give, getting some back. So uh, welcome back to the show, Hoss Reuter and John Dam Johnston. Gentlemen. I got a T-shirt slogan for you. Okay. 2019, it damn well be better than this. I well, am... it should be, so I think you could calm down now. <laughs> calm down. Which we're, we're going to, we're obviously going to talk about last weekend. Uh, uh, we have to, Hoss, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, but before we do that, we are going to wish uh, our, our uh, broadcast buddy, our fellow Husker fan, and friend, uh, Haas Reuter, a belated birthday, because his birthday was uh, this earlier in the week. We're not going to disclose his age. I'm pretty sure if you've uh, been a fan of the show, he's mentioned it before, and you probably can do the math. Uh, but happy belated birthday, Haas. Thanks, Greg. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, happy to be back on the Five Heart Podcast, although I wish it was under better circumstances, i.e. coming off of a big win against Iowa. He's so old, I can hear his knees creaking through the mic. Which, which, oh, yeah. There's, that must be there, a really loud. Uh, and they must be really loud if John can hear, because John, of course, is famously old and has horrible hearing. So, Didn't he lose most of his hearing at Pyongyang? <laughs> Pyongyang? Yeah, there's a war in Korea. Okay. Battling Korea. It's more like Pion Haas. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> You're weird. I don't even want to know what you do in your spare time. Well, I okay. I'm, I'm saying peon is in tiny. Not I, I, I peon in your man. guttural mind is probably going for. I also don't well, want to know about tiny. Your enunciation could use some work, John. Okay, so so that was disappointing. Here's the thing. We all expected, I think, a lot. Uh, you know, all season long, our expectations ran high, and of course, the zero and six start uh, dampened them. They did uh, win, you know, four of the last six. Except, it would have been nice to get that fifth one, uh, especially in Iowa City, and especially against uh, the evil bastard Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, I credit this team because this is a team unlike any we've seen in the last five or so years from Nebraska in that when they got down, they didn't give up. They didn't hang their heads. They didn't, you know, let the opposing team pour another, you know, 30 points on them. 
they got kept in. I mean, this was a a a walk off kicking out, you know, field goal opportunity for Iowa. And, and, and you know what, he'd had a career long of 43, 44, 47, something like that, missed earlier in the game from 30-something. Um, it, it was one of those that could have gone either way at the end. A um, couple plays here or there. I mean, we, we've been saying this for much of the season, a few plays here or there every game, and the outcome could be different. But what I – liked most about that game and really about the season is the fact that the players never gave up no they kept doubling down and you know going to work buckling the chin strap and you can't ask for much more and it's easy to do you know it's easy to go the opposite direction when you're zero and six but they made something happen you know something positive came out of you know such a horrific start and really something positive came out of such a horrific year the kind of advance the cultural rebuild a lot faster. We, we've we used or, or used and heard the phrase, uh, you know, the culture, uh, the mindset, the mentality has been used much like the, the phrase, you know, the term narrative as, as far as, you know, air quotes here, mainstream media and how they'll control their narrative on where they is, is I mean, I, I look at culture and, you know, trying to turn around. Basically, the way I see it is I, I transpose the word mindset. Nebraska fans are always going to be there. Um, yeah, when after the Michigan game, there were some who jumped off the, the bandwagon. And I loved, uh, 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 what was it, I think, uh, Tweety from, you know, the, the Big Red Cobcast, or, or maybe it was Pat, I don't know, one of them tweeted out uh, – Earlier in the season, during during the troubles, it was something like if if you don't love us at uh, at our what, what is it Tommy Armstrong's, you don't deserve us at our Adrian Martinez's or you know something like that. But along the things, of, you know, if if you don't love us at our, our worst, you don't you don't deserve us at our best. Uh, to all the you know air quote fans who were jumping off the bandwagon when things were were looking bleak. But really, you know, when I hear the word culture, which I think has been changed, I think the last uh, twelve months has. You know the 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 mindset has done a complete 180 in Lincoln, and uh, it all starts with the coaching staff. I, I firmly believe that. But it took a few games. Uh, this team could have rolled over. This team could have gone one and eleven. You know, I mean, it, it, Illinois gave up more of a fight than we anticipated. Uh, you know, Minnesota is going to be a battle. You know, I think from from time to time. I, obviously, we saw what happened in Iowa. It could have been, you know, if if the mindset wasn't there, it could have been a situation where the only win was Bethune-Cookman. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree. There you was know, I, at one point. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Right after that Northwestern game, I was thinking that that was a very real possibility that we would only win one game. You know, go one and eleven against Bethune Cookman with our only win coming against Bethune Cookman. And instead, you know, they come right back out after a deflating loss at Northwestern, the first game that they really had control in all year long. Lose it, come back the next week, and jump on Minnesota right out of the gate. And right then and there you could tell that the switch had been flipped. Execution was you know, much better. Execution got a lot better in the first half of that Northwestern game. That was like a switch had been flipped too. But 
I really view that Northwestern game as the turning point of the season, despite it being a loss, because I think that's where guys started to realize what it took to not only compete, but what it was going to take to win. And ever since then, you know, finishing four and two, if you would have told me that on October 13th, I probably would have taken a four and eight record in a heartbeat. You know, you know, you know what my generation always says about you, younger people. Uh, all the participation trophies, but your generation's no, like, no, no, no. You don't get to cut me off here. I was just doing a pregnant, a dramatic pause, uh, a rhetorical okay? question. Here we go. Right. Oh. They always say these kids don't know how to work these days. They don't know what hard work is, and then they proceed to tell you how they walk both ways up the hill to school, which I personally did, but. Wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. They do. They do this thing about, hey, you don't know what work is. We used to show up. We used to put in all this work. We used to do this and that. And the funny thing about that is, is I heard it from the same thing when I was 20 years old from the generation above us. But the honest to God truth is, is, a lot of times it's true. Unless somebody mentors you and shows you what hard work really means and what dedication really means and what it's like to really be successful is not going to require some flash-in-the-pan idea. It's going to require putting in many hours of hard struggle. That has to happen throughout an entire organization. It's not just a Scott Frost telling you thing. It's, it's a, you know what, it's Stanley Morgan standing on the field and yelling at his teammates, which he, which he did most of the year when they were not doing well. You could see him on the sideline yelling at people during games. But it's a, it's a level that says that the boss is accountable and the guys that are lieutenants are accountable and the lieutenants under them are accountable. I guess that would be sergeants. And then the, the guys that are basically the grunts are accountable to each other as well. And when any of them starts breaking down, things fall apart. They fall apart in your workplace if some guy isn't doing his job. You don't feel like you're what are you doing doing your job if he's not going to do his? What's the point? Your teams fall apart in the same way. Mm-hmm. So that was the culture thing that all had to come together. And you saw it earlier in the season, like uh, the Troy game, when our, on the two runs they had where the middle of the field opened up when our linebackers just ran off with motion and didn't guard anybody. And then they started figuring it out because they, not just, they didn't just figure out the guys who wanted to be there they started figuring out what was supposed to be happening on the field. <laughs> John, okay. I'm, I'm glad you, uh, I'm, I'm glad you use the word accountable. Oh, you know, and, and accountability is such, such a big thing. And, and of course you gave uh, us a few examples, but this is a team that I think, especially after the Northwestern game, like, like Haas, like you said, but over the entire course of the season, I think, uh, we saw them as a unit hold themselves to a higher standard. Uh, the and, and looking at, you know, it, it's not a little thing um, because they, they certainly added up in the first half of the season. But look at penalties. Penalties through the first six or seven games, they were averaging 100 yards a game in, in penalties. And that number dropped probably in half uh, by, you know, the time the Iowa and uh, the uh, – Michigan State games rolled around. I mean, they were playing much cleaner uh, football and, you know, just like like the, the holding calls. That, and I know we gripe about, oh, the, you know, the, considering them phantom holding calls or, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember who, who was that said, you know, there's a holding 
penalty on on every play. It's just most of them don't get called. Uh, you know, so we certainly griped about that. But but just little things like that. Maybe they were shoring up their technique or something like that. But I thought that well, yeah, the, the attention to detail when when you're fully bought in, you're willing to do the mundane little things exactly right, no matter how much time they take up or if they're just you know they suck to do. You're willing them. You're willing to do the little things and that shows in cutting down penalties that shows in executing a block and short yardage to pick up a first down that shows in you know getting open on a desperation two-point conversion attempt you know when your quarterback's running on a broken field we were only penalized two times for 20 yards against iowa against michigan state i think it was like four for 45 when you contrast that with the purdue game which was I want to say like maybe 13 or 14 penalties against Purdue, you know, against us when we were playing Purdue. That's a huge difference. And it, was, it all goes back to just the little things, doing the little things right. It's not always wholesale personnel or scheme changes, just doing the little things right. Can I bring up a little thing that bothered me? Yeah, of course, John. This is, you're, you also, you're pretty much run this website. Oh, I do. I do. Um, here's, <laughs> Something that bothered me that I noticed is that Adrian Martinez did not play as well in the last two games of the season. Oh, he's playing went, against two pretty damn good defenses. Was that it, or was it the, literally the cold? I, it Do you was think he was defense. bothered by the cold at all? Well, against Michigan State, I think you'd have to be insane or just plain stupid to not be bothered by the cold. That was... <laughs> Well, that's true. Watching the game on TV didn't even do it justice after I got back from the game. That weather sucked during the Michigan State game. I mean, about 12-degree wind chill, snow, really moist, uh, wind coming out of the northwest or northeast at 30, 35 miles an hour. Uh, that was not a day made for offensive football at all. I remember the 82 year. That's all I have to say about that. John, were you were you guys finally getting the Pawnee onto the reservation back in '82? We were, and it snowed 83 feet. Oh, you you, you might have to refresh. You need uh, to write a book just ridiculous back in my day stories. <laughs> okay, let's let's move on with Iowa, or should we just move on from Iowa? Well, I just wanted to say that despite the issues through two and a half quarters against Iowa, especially that third quarter. Once Frost found a groove in his play calling, we were clicking late in that game. Had their linebackers, you know, turned around. DNs couldn't get upfield, you know, and wreck plays like they were earlier in the game. And I just wish that that groove would have occurred a little earlier in the game because if it occurs with even 10 minutes left in the third quarter as opposed to there at the end of the third quarter, we we might end up winning that game by a score. Uh, it's that, that game could have gone a lot of different directions had we not dug ourselves in that hole coming right out of halftime. Well, it was a kind of a it was a woulda coulda shoulda year mm-hmm. overall. And interestingly enough, third quarters are bad. Third quarters are kind of something that are endemic to team you know scott frost coach teams at ucf they had a bad third quarter against memphis in the american athletic conference championship game last year that let memphis back in the game 
against Auburn, they had a bad third quarter in the Peach Bowl that let Auburn back in the game. We had we've had bad third quarters against Purdue, bad third quarters against Minnesota. Played decently against uh, Ohio State and Illinois. Third quarter was pretty bad against Michigan State as well, and we saw it again against Iowa. So it's something that is a bit endemic, and I think an off-season of self-scouting and kind of reflection over what worked this past year and what needs to be fixed, I think it gets fixed moving forward. I'm going to make a note of that on my bathroom on my wall. <laughs> what? Why contemplate why the third quarter? You're not going to like write it on your bathroom mirror in lipstick, are you? I don't have lipstick. Yes, well, you, you have do. a wife. I don't know where the, I don't. I don't touch your lipstick. That's weird. <laughs> so you're not Steve Bassini from <laughs> Madison. I'll just put it on sticky notes, and it'll be up there with all the other ones. Are you going to have a shed in your backyard looking like uh, Russell Crowe's character, John Nash, in A Beautiful Mind? All the, you know, pins connecting the dots and all the newspaper clippings about our third quarters. And maybe what a half-empty bottle of Goldschlager. Why would, I be, why would I put that in my backyard? Because you're crazier than a, you're nuttier than a shit. Yeah, I just keep uh-huh. it downstairs in the living room. I mean, it's not like anybody, big secret to anybody. Oh, I was just, you know, I was just giving you the benefit of the doubt, putting it in the backyard in case you had like a psychotic break or something. <laughs> well, that too happened in 1982. <laughs> I was, I was thinking maybe the coronation dot com, the formation of coronation uh, was John's psychotic break. Well, it was when I t- I got therapy. That's when I started to do therapy on myself. Self-examination about this obsession with cognitive behavior therapy. Do you uh, do you examine yourself often, Mister Johnson? Every day. (laughs) Um, I I got a. I don't shower every day, but I damn well examine myself. Giggity. Uh, So I, I I gotta say this. It it was Friday, and I had shared, of course, the uh, the. T-shirt link, jitterymonkey.com slash shop. And uh, I had shared it with the Iowa Sucks picture. And as I mentioned last week, I do have an aunt and uncle who live in Iowa. And uh, after the game, uh, it was my uncle who said, how about those Hawkeyes? As, you know, winners do. And uh, and I said, you know, I made the comment of, hey, you know what? I'm glad you were able to enjoy this one because – Nebraska's coming back, and it's not going to be like this next year. And he's like, yeah, that's what, that's what you know, you've been saying. I don't know how we worded it exactly, and I'm not going to look it up now. But anyway, it, uh, I just knew I was waiting for it. I was like, the game's over. One of them's going to say something. One of them's going to say something. And they're family, and I do love them. So it's not like I can tell them to shut the fuck up. Uh, but I really well, want me. Let me say this. I had a bet with a coworker of mine who's an Iowa fan. And they've since moved back to an Iowa City branch of the company that I work at. And we had a bet all offseason that on the Nebraska-Iowa game. Nebraska wins, he owes me a steak dinner. Iowa wins, I owe him a steak dinner. So Iowa wins. And I text him after the game. I say, it looks like I owe you a steak dinner. You know, I don't welch on my bets. I'm ready to pay up. 
And he starts going on this thing about the drive for five, how next year they're going to be this five years in a row. He starts just spouting off, and I just go, you know, I don't believe in moral victories, but incremental improvement. We closed the gap from losing 30 by 30 to you two years ago. We lost to you guys by 42 last year, and this year we lost by three. Damn near forced overtime, clawed back from being down 15. No, 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 no. You guys didn't claw back. Iowa let off the gas. No. No. Clawed back. And I told him, I go, I'll buy you that steak dinner. And I don't welch on bets. That's the important part of the story to understand. Like, if I lose a bet, I pay up in good faith. But just the hatred of Iowa stoked, you know, the coals of just kind of being a dickhead for me. And I told him, I'll buy you that steak dinner when you admit that Nebraska clawed back in the game. He wouldn't have it, so looks like I'm not buying somebody a steak dinner. Wow. That's, not a, that's not a dickhead move. I would have, like, ran over something on the road, cut it up, and said, here you go. You want me to fry it or bake it? Here, got you some great chicken fried possum. Yeah. Yeah, so Iowa fans, just they lack even an ounce of just reality, self-awareness, decency. The next few years are not going to be good for them on Black Friday. Uh, I just no, we're gonna, we're going to dish out a couple of country ass whoopings on Black Friday the next few years. If you look at and, and I love the free, this is going to be a shirt on jittermonkey.com slash shop uh, incremental improvement. And if you just think, as you mentioned, it was a thirty point game two years ago. This year it was three barely, uh, and the offense is only going to get better. The defense with uh, the right personnel and you know more playing time, more experience for you know like the DiCaprio Boodles and uh, you know maybe Lamar Jackson is back and Mo Berry if he sticks around and, and Carlos and Khalil Davis and uh, just so there, there is going to be a return of talent on both sides of the ball. That's why Iowa is doing the good thing, the right thing for them this year in treating this last Friday's win as their Super Bowl because they're not going to win. They're going to become the Buffalo Bills of the 90s here in in short order. They'll have pretty good seasons up until Thanksgiving, but Black Friday, we're going to give them a black eye. I don't think that's why. That's not why they're treating it as their Super Bowl. You know what drives me nuts? No, no. I have a thought here, and it's going to go out of my old head. All right, go ahead. The The senator from California has the floor. The reason why they're treating it as their Super Bowl is if they didn't, they'd have to examine themselves, and they'd have to look at it. And and we talked. I talked about this last week about how badly they screwed up this season because they had the Big Ten West laid out for them. And they couldn't win it. So or they, they just played stopped. anyone with a pulse, and they realized that they weren't that good. Yeah, John, you are all about self-examination tonight. Are you okay? Well, you, uh... Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, Here's I believe in, you should be honest with yourself at all times. Is this a cry for your life? This seems like it's turning into a Jerry Taggy commercial on Husker Sports Network about if you remember seeing him play, getting your prostate checked. <laughs> You've never heard those commercials? I was thinking mental exam. I don't know what you people are thinking about. I'm really, 
you need to think about this. John's over here like fans. What drives me nuts is they sit there and they talk so much shit about how we're not relevant, and you know they don't realize that our worst stretch is pretty much the same as their best stretch in the past twenty years. Then they beat us on a walk-off field goal. Always exciting to win in a walk-off. Sure, I can get it. But they treat it like they just won the damn national championship. And then they have the gall to turn around and say, oh, you guys aren't shit. You know, drive for five next year. All that bull crap. So at some point with Iowa fans, it's like, you know, you know, and you couple this with that Iowa band nerd, you know, fabricating tales about, Nebraska not waving at the hospital, which I have my own opinions let's, on. No, no, let's the talk about that. Hospital, and I, I don't want to go into that because some people are going to think that I'm a serious monster when I uh, no, talk about my feelings about the wave. Let's talk about the, the fabricated they just, they, story. They hate Nebraska more than they love their own damn team. <laughs> and that is what infuriates me so much about Iowa fans, that they hate us more than they actually love themselves. They're self-loathing. Dude. Okay, Greg, what? I, I was just going to add, you know, since Hoss brought it up, even even if we didn't, you know, dive deep into it, do we want to talk about that, you know, band nerds, uh, uh, fabricated story about Huskers not turning around and doing the wave? I'll, I'll talk about it for a second. So That's it, the it, most distasteful thing I've ever seen. Like, you can accuse somebody of a lot of shit, you know, if there's whether there's a half-truth involved or not. Well, no, let's, if somebody wants to accuse somebody of something, they're going to. But totally but fabricating something is the biggest bush league bullshit move I have ever seen. Let's set the set the stage in case people aren't on Twitter and don't know the story. And and I don't know, maybe it's made the the, the rounds in in Lincoln Omaha radio, something like that. But there was a a. Uh, an Iowa student member of the the marching band or or you know pet band or whatever band plays at uh, uh, that little field of theirs, and made a series of tweets or or maybe just a single tweet and then it just got picked up uh, that was essentially blaming or you know saying things you know like I've 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 been here at a lot of games at the stadium and and the Huskers trip is the first time that I've not seen the, the visiting team turn around or, or participate in the wave to the, you know, children's hospital and the kids up there and just shameful because there was a Husker fan up there. And, uh, and, but there was video evidence that proved this individual wrong and not, you know, just you know, think about it. And, and somebody, I, I was reading the thread on Twitter cause I dove you know deep into it for some reason, but you know, there are, thousands of you know people in that you know stadium at that moment with you know camera phones in their pocket or in their hand and a lot of those fans hate nebraska so if they were you know why not if if nebraska was you know sitting there with their arms folded not participating then how many various angles would there be of nebraska you know, doing of the Husker football team not participating in the wave. There were no videos like that that were ever released. Uh, there were reports, or I think a, a sideline camera, something like that, that that kind of uh, uh, caught Scott Frost in a moment of you know emotion, where you know he's waving and, and uh, you know maybe a little glassy eyed, uh, you know, as he's participating. Scott Frost is a man who leads by example 
And if Scott Frost is participating in the wave to the, you know, sick kids at, at, at the uh, Omaha, or, uh, Omaha University of Iowa Children's Hospital, uh, participating in this very recent tradition, it's only a couple of years old, then every player is taking notice of that and, and doing something similar. Uh, the fact that this person felt it necessary to out of thin air, just stir up some Twitter controversy for a few likes or a few retweets or a few more follows is shameful. And uh, it was good to see fans of both teams and videos corroborate their story to, to put this individual in their place. Absolutely. That's, you know what that is? That's a guy that probably doesn't do self-examination. <laughs> it was a girl. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, doesn't matter. I don't know. You know, everybody's me, got things they need to self-examine. Part of me thought when I saw that tweet on. I didn't see it until Sunday, but part of me thought, you know, that's a new. I, I wouldn't even go as far to call it a tradition. There, it's something that they've just started doing last year. But I've always thought, what's going to happen in a tight game, big game in Iowa City when Iowa's maybe getting, you know, boat race at the end of the first quarter and tempers are running high on the sideline. There may not be a lot of people on Iowa's sideline who wave, you know? Yep. I, it's a football game. Like, it's trivial compared to kids in the hospital, you know, who are sick. Football is very trivial compared to that. But in the heat of battle the fog of war, you know, sometimes you get overridden with the emotion of that moment, you know, your tunnel vision on your goal. And I've always thought, boy, you know, if you're playing like crap, it'd be pretty easy just to kind of tune the whole thing out, and, you know, not wave. You know, I'm, I'd wave if I was there, you know, if I go in two years to Iowa city for the Nebraska, Iowa game, you bet your ass I'd turn around and wave. But I've always just thought, you know, like what's going to happen when, I was playing really badly, and, you know, their sideline doesn't do it. And then you're going to run in, in because if the sideline's not doing it, you know, how many of, of the fans are, or if, to, to borrow your uh, term, boat raced, uh, if, if they're you know, getting beat 28 to nothing, 28 to three, something like that, after 15 minutes, that, that might be an exaggeration of a score, but you never know in college football. Crazier things have happened. Uh, how many fans are, you know, on a let, – let's say, knock on wood, let's say it's Black Friday two years from now and Nebraska's handing them their ass in the first quarter. How many of those Iowa fans on a cold, you know, day at 11.45 in the morning or give or take, you know, when it, it's cold, it's, it's, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, how many of them are going to want to turn around and participate in something like that? It's – you know, it's it's just it, it, it's much ado about nothing. Yeah, um, I think it, I think the ph- philanthropy work, re- the reaching out to you know community hospitals like what Nebraska does at Saint Elizabeth's the night before Thanksgiving, and you know the Ferentz family endowing the money for you know I think that floor at that hospital. I think that's great. Um, football is a great vehicle for making a difference in communities but at the same time you know I, I just would rather see it be a little bit more 
authentic and actually, you know, being something that is reaching out and helping the community as opposed to waving at the end of the first quarter. Sure. You know, I've, I've had thoughts on that for a while now. Um, you know, nothing tugs at the old heartstrings for old Haas Reuter quite like sick kids. You know, it will turn me from acting like a tough guy to being a, you know, big uh, ball of emotion. But uh, I would just like to, I, I don't, I don't really know if it even has a place in the, in the context of a three-hour football game, to tell you the truth. And I feel like I, you know, I'm saying some things I'm probably going to regret here on air, but that's the truth. And, and to, to follow up on that, what you said about the Huskers going to St. Elizabeth's on Thanksgiving, do does the – and maybe they do, and, and I just don't know, but does the Iowa football team actually make a trip up to the floor or in, in, you know, visit the kids? I, I don't know. I do Maybe I'm they, not sure. Maybe they do. Uh, I would. I would guess that throughout the season they probably do at some point. Sure. And especially because it's it's right there by the facilities, and so you know it's right. relatively easy to access. So, well, let's move on. I'm personally, uh, yeah, I'm I'm tired of talking about Iowa. Uh, I, I am too. Except I, for this, uh, here's the T-shirt slogan for you: Iowa full of Kirk Ferentz and stinky hogs. Hold on, I got to write that down. I'm, I'll send it to you. Yeah, that's good because, uh, yeah, you do that. I, I'm full of Kirk Ferenz and Stinky Hawks. There you go. Why not? I like it. So what's what's next? Uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, the Big Ten uh, Conference honors and m- m- more or less just talk about the Huskers who were, uh, you know, noted and, and honored for uh, uh, their – efforts in the 2018 football season does that sound good sound sound good to you guys yeah Yeah. fantastic so first of all we we should acknowledge we as we did last week divine ozigbo with the the first thousand yard rusher in you know since 2014 in amir abdullah uh over during the course of the iowa game stanley morgan jr became the first uh, Nebraska Cornhusker receiver to have a thousand yards receiving in a season. So congratulations to Stanley Morgan Jr., who also was selected uh, by the Big Ten coaches as a second team wide receiver. So uh, well earned, although I perhaps a, a little low. But what can you do? Should have been first team. That's what I thought. You think so? You think yeah. so? I mean. When you when you guys are making an all Big Ten selection, what do you base it on? Uh, one, I'm gonna go off of how good they, how much of a technician they are at their craft and production as well. Paris Campbell parlayed jet sweeps and shallow crossing routes into a first team All Big Ten campaign. Stanley Morgan actually got open downfield, and you know met a whole lot more to his team. And and he high pointed the ball. Paris he went Campbell. up. He, had good, you know. Okay, Greg, Greg. What? What would you, if you're making Big Ten selections on, what would you base them on? Production and, I, you know what, I'd probably go production and leadership. Okay, see, if I was doing that, I would, I would, make, I would make my selections based on production secondary, but how much did this guy actually mean to his team? Well, so you just repeated what Haas said. I no, I think when you look at across the Big Ten, and this is where I'm, this is where I'm going to be the anti-Homer guy. 
If you look at the conference media selections, the two top receivers are Tyler Johnson of Minnesota and Rondell Moore of Purdue. And you go to receivers from the coaches, you've got Rondell Moore of Purdue and Paris Campbell. You've already mentioned Paris Campbell. But I'll tell you what, but from the media, Tyler Johnson, I mean, Minnesota's going to a bowl game and we're not. And Tyler Johnson was their J.D. Spielman. I mean, that kid is a huge part of their offense. And he was one of their playmaker playmakers. So given that they really didn't have an offense many times throughout the year, I think he, he meant probably more to his team than Stanley Morgan did to Nebraska. And I love Stanley Morgan. He's my favorite player by far this year. And then you look at Rondell Moore, Purdue. I don't think anybody can discount what, what he meant to Purdue. So let me ask you this one, because it's not on these lists, uh, but Rondell Moore for Purdue – as, as far as freshman of the year, I would still put Adrian Martinez absolutely in that conversation. Yeah. I, again, Adrian Martinez meant more to Nebraska than Rondale Moore did to Purdue. You think so? Yes. I think so. I, you saw what it was when we didn't have Adrian Martinez in. Well, that's true. Uh, Rondale Moore is good. Like, uh, I, it's no secret that, like, I'll root for Purdue 51 weeks out of the year. The one week that they that I won't root for them is the week that they're playing us. You know, I admire what Brahms done through two seasons in West Lafayette, but as good as Moore is, he is not. He does not mean as much to Purdue as Adrian Martinez means to Nebraska. By the way, uh, rooting for them 51 weeks out of 52, they have a really tough schedule that year. If they I'm got perplexed. if they got fifty two games, you said you'd root for them oh, fifty one yeah. weeks. Yeah, yeah figures. Mo- moving on, moving on. And um, no, I don't root for Purdue in basketball because I can't stand Matt Painter. Fair enough. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, Adrian Martinez, like he should have been freshman of the year. Seven games with three hundred yards or more total offense, average, you know, two hundred and some odd yards passing and fifty five yards rushing per game he's the first only the fifth court true freshman quarterback since 1990 to do that so when i'm looking at that i know purdue's the darling you know upstart of the big 10 but yeah if i'm putting together a football team and i get to choose between having adrian martinez on my team or rondale moore i'm getting the quarterback the quarterback position situated first and i'm taking martinez over more that's what i'm doing that's a smart move, and I, I think most fantasy football leagues would agree with you. Um, by the way, what? What about the running backs? Well, we're, we're getting uh, it, okay. It's, yeah, it's okay. become it's, it's become string, a. It's, you know, I agree with that. Um, I didn't see who the second string guys were. Divine, I, I think third string for Divine's right about right. The, the media put him there. So, uh, by by the way, uh, Stanley Morgan Jr. was second team in the coaches and the media. uh, And uh, Devine, as you said, was uh, honorable mention for for the coaches and third team uh, by the media. Uh, Also, uh, third team uh, from the coaches was DiCaprio Boodle and J.D. Spielman. Both were third team, according to the media, and Muhammad Barry was in there as well. Uh, For honorable mentions, uh, Adrian Martinez lands on both. Brendan Hymas lands on both. Bo Wilson on the media. Uh, Khalil Davis 
which is kind of funny. Khalil Davis is an honorable mention on the media side. Carlos Davis is an honorable mention on the coach's side. Luke Gifford, an honorable mention. Uh, and Isaac Armstrong, an honorable mention. As we mentioned, Muhammad Barry was an honorable mention on the coach's side, but uh, third team on the media side. So, you know, what I, I see what I see when I look at this is of the, the players that are listed there, three seniors, Divine, uh, Stanley Morgan, and Luke Gifford, which means there's a lot of talent coming back, you know, a lot of recognizable talent, a lot of, for lack of a better term, honored talent, uh, and and there's a lot more waiting in the wings. I really believe that. You look at uh, uh, like a Maurice Washington, who's going to step up big next year. Uh, you know, you look at a Jack Stoll. Uh, there are, and you know, those are I was just, just you know a couple. Uh, Bo Wilson, uh, Hoss. I know you're high on him, and and. Oh, yeah. And not just that, but you think, and, and we've talked about this before, but you believe that the offensive line and, and should because it'll have a, another, you know, a full another full year uh, under you know strength and conditioning. But you think that the offensive line is going to be far improved in, in 2019 than it was in 2018. Yeah, I do. Um, Hymas is still holding steady at left tackle next year. Um, I think Bryce Benhart is the kind of player that can step in and be a day one starter at right tackle. Not too many high school offensive linemen are a lean six foot eight, three hundred and one pounds with his skills. And with Benhart stepping in at right tackle, that'll allow Matt Farniak to slide inside to guard. Um, you got Bo Wilson at the other guard spot. And then at that point you gotta find a center and it's kind of a three man race between well man if we can hold on to Desmond Bland he's visiting Florida State um, on December 7th but you know in terms of putting getting a good center out there on the field you have Cam Jurgens who has explosive explosiveness that cannot be taught or developed very easily if at all you got Will Farniak who's a died in the wool center uh, the coaches really liked him in fall camp the knock on him was just that he was small as a true freshman and then you got a guy like Desmond Bland, who's junior college coach at Arizona Western, said he's an NFL center or guard. And so there are some nice pieces to work with on the offensive line. We're going to have, you know, a good, you know, good, good experience there. So this should be better out of the gate next year. Now, it might take a little bit of time to get things, you know, really clicking with a couple of first time starters, even though. There are upgrades in talent, but I don't think you'll see us, you know, have a stretch next year like we saw this year where guys were really swimming in it and couldn't figure it out. The development of the offensive line over the course of this year um, demands a huge hat tip to Greg Austin. Once we reshuffled the personnel a little bit, put Tanner Farmer at center full-time and Bo Wilson at guard, you saw each week they got a little bit better, you know, as time went on. And they gave up some bad sacks, you know, to Iowa. Epinesa and Anthony Nelson were, you know, in the backfield. But the way they performed against those guys was a lot better than their performance would have been if the game would have occurred earlier in the season. Say, like, swap out the Purdue game 
with the Iowa game. If we're playing Iowa on September 29th, I don't even want to think about what guys like Epinesa and Nelson would have done to our offensive line. Sure. But later in the year, when our guys were playing with some confidence and things were, you know, had slowed down for them, they were able to go out there and execute. They held their own for the most part. And so I'm excited to see what the next stage of development looks like for the offensive line under Greg Austin, under Zach Duvall in the weight room. And if that O-line really gets clicking, especially the interior, we're able to we're going to be able to really stress defenses by having a downhill inside running game like we saw in stretches this season with those Zigbo. Okay, we'll stop there a minute. Who's going to replace Divino Zigbo? Well, Maurice Washington. No, Maurice Washington is not going to do it. Well, I was. Let me finish my thought. No, you had long thoughts there. We we were getting there. <laughs> I Maurice said, said started talking, thinking is about more of a wide receiver as the duck are than a running back. I would like to see Mo be more of a full time receiver. That means a guy like Dedrick Mills from Garden City Community College or Ramir Johnson from Bergen Catholic in New Jersey should be expected to step in as first-year starters. If those guys aren't quite up to par right away, up to speed, you have to maybe consider that a guy like um, Wyatt Mazur finally gets a chance to shine a little bit. Now, there are... Not, not a bad choice. Okay, but wait, who's going to replace Stanley Morgan? Because well, that, that guy was a badass. Well, that's why I think a guy like Mo Washington demands being moved to wide receiver full time. I think he would put more stress on a defense as a wideout than he would as a running back. He's dangerous coming out of the backfield, sure, but I was never fully impressed with a lot of Washington's runs from the tailback position. I mean, he he was solid. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the guy's a bum because he, he's a star in the making, but I think he would, he's better suited to be a wideout, to be a slot guy. So, but the prospect of replacing Stanley Morgan is a little bit concerning because he was a he was a damn good player. He's the best receiver we've ever had here. The you numbers think so? bear that out as well. I well, think that's 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 true. I mean, I guess he did set all the records or set most of them, and that includes back to Johnny Rogers. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, Johnny Rogers was electric. Irving Fryer was electric. Um, Maurice Purify was good, but Stan was a little bit more of an electric player than Maurice Purify was. Purify was more your classic possession receiver. So you got guys like Cade Warner. You know, JD's still there. He'll only be a junior next year. Um, Mike Williams. Mike Williams, Jerron Woodyard. Uh I can't remember. Justin McGriff, I think, got switched to tight end full-time. Miles uh, Jones it, steps in at the duck R position. What about I mean, Mc, McQuitty? Well, you know, if he ever gets off the milk carton, we'll see. Well, milk, cart, <laughs> milk carton in the uh, injured, injured reserved. Because he spent a little bit of time injured again, didn't he? I think so. So... It's it's going to be interesting. I'd, I'd love to see us go out and bag, you know, on the recruiting trail, a big-bodied receiver. But you don't have to be tall to play the X receiver position like Stan did. I mean, Stan's only 6'1". You know, 
a lot of people always think that the X receiver needs to be the 6'3 to 6'5 big bodied receiver like Roy Williams was at Texas. No, you can put a 6'1 guy like Stan there. Uh, Frost even kind of talked about earlier this season JD taking over at the X position next year. So it, it might take a little creativity, but I think we'll get there in replacing Stan the man. And it might have to be a, a replacement by committee. You know, as you said, you know, the best wide receiver Nebraska's had, you know, especially statistically. Uh, so, especially next year, maybe the first half of the season, it might take a couple of guys to, you know, step into that role until they find the the one that fits the best. So, it's a good, yeah. good, good question, John. Thanks for participating in the show. Well, you're welcome. I try sometimes. <laughs> So, can we? I I hate doing it, but I I, I listen to their show. I don't know if they listen to ours. They should, bastards. Uh, Our friends at the Big Red Cobcast did something where they did uh, exceptionally early predictions for next season. Do we want to play? No, we we have the whole off season. My God, why would we do this? Because four. Because everybody does it. You know. Do, do, do we want to take a, a quick gander at, at next year and just see with so many question well, marks, obviously, that we have, you know, where Nebraska could be at, at this time next year? I think I'll we should save it for one week. Fine. I'll say this. I'm, I, I won't say anything else beyond this. Looking at the schedule for next year, it's, you know, not – it is within reason to say that we could be dogs in only one game next year against Ohio State. We could also easily lose four or five games if the defense doesn't figure itself out. But, but, you might be But, uh, but here's why I want a week. Okay. I, I was trying to figure out how, what role I'm going to play in this offseason. Whether, you know, when you, when I, it, should I be the homer during the offseason and the sunshine pumping Kool-Aid selling drinking guy? Or should I be Mr. Contrarian because that's what old curmudgeon guys usually do? You know what? I, I Maybe people should send us email and comments and let me know which part. Which role should I take on during this offseason? You know what? That is going to go uh, – thank you, John. That's, check out the poll right now live on Twitter.com slash the number five heart podcast. It's a very simple poll. And the question is, what role should John play in this offseason? The sunshine pumper or the uh, contrarian curmudgeon? Very, very simple. You have to put old guy in there. I'm pretty sure that curmudgeon covers that, doesn't it? No. I've never you met. Know, you met. Do you know how many people follow me on Twitter or follow us on Twitter and think I'm a millennial? No. There's a lot of them. <laughs> I can. It's I can. Kind of, it's really weird. Obviously, they don't listen to the show. Um, no. Obviously, they don't. I think they're just mostly drunk. That is also possible. Uh, speaking yeah. of, we didn't even we. How did we get so far in the show without an update on the winos? How did because doing? well, did they move on after the Iowa game? After the football, they season did. Ended? They literally moved on because it's too damn cold here in Minnesota for people to live outside in the alley outside the beer joint. Gosh darn! So I gave them their last shipment, and uh, you know. Shipped them I off. mixed it up. I mixed it up. I it was like, 
Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you like a case of Thunderbird and a case of Grape MD-2020 because that's some of the best wine ever made by man. And you guys can fight it out. And I don't want to watch you fight it out because that would be kind of inhumane. But uh, I just kind of see we all hugged each other and said, well, we'll see you next season. And uh, You know what you should have done? What you should have done is given them a a one-way Greyhound ticket south. So that they could stay warm this this winter, this cold uh, season. Well, they're going need, south. They're I just, don't need to be pestered by winos. They're I, going south. They're just going on trains. Oh, sorry. They picked the wrong mode of transportation. Good Lord, man. Have you never been a wino guy? I've never been a wino guy. Well, I spent 10 or 15 years riding trains. Was that, was that you know, when the trains first uh, you know conquered the West? No, it was when they started going north-south, too. I, I really thought you so would It was a, later, 1920s, 30s, and that era, you know, Depression era. I, I People really didn't thought, have cars, couldn't afford gas, had to ride trains. I really thought that you would have been out there uh, uh, riding the rails, maybe even uh, helping. Uh, Haas, help me out here. Where was it where they uh, uh, drove home that last spike that, that completed the railroad? Promontory Point, Utah. Thank you. <laughs> I thought I thought John would have been there. I thought he he would have been, you know, holding the the golden uh, spike driver mallet. I don't know what the hell it's called. It doesn't matter. Uh, John, was, <laughs> John was probably Ulysses S. Grant's uh, personal bartender. Probably giving. Probably <laughs> there you go. Probably giving. Pro, 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 can't say professor. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, probably giving President Grant his own self examinations, if you know what I mean. Oh God. Okay, that's horrifying. You're on that note. You know what? Here's the here's the here's the sad side about uh, uh, Husker football being over. We don't have any predictions to give this week. Yes, we do. Okay, we can predict other things. Okay, what would you like to predict? We let's predict the top four college football playoff participants. Okay, Uh, go. Wait, I was thinking. Uh, All right, Hoss. Well, obviously, Alabama. I think Alabama's going to get in whether they lose this weekend to Georgia in the SEC championship game or not. It's just that the prospect of that is: Do you want Georgia to win that game so you can see Alabama lose, or do you want Georgia to lose that game so only one team makes it, maybe into the college football playoff? Because if Georgia wins, you know damn well it's going to be Georgia and Alabama in the college football playoff, and then Notre Dame and. Who would be the other one? Come on. Clemson. Clemson, I'm sorry. Yes. So I, I'll go Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame. And I, there was really the last spot is between, I think, uh, Ohio State and Oklahoma. And really, with you know, look at those two, you're looking at – you look at Ohio State last year. They lost to Iowa really badly, horrifically bad. And this year they got slaughtered by Purdue. They had to, like, basically – tough out a game against Maryland in the last few seconds. They didn't play well at Minnesota. And then nope. you look at Oklahoma who, why do we have a defense? So I'm going to say, I'm going to say Ohio State beats the living snot out of Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. And it's just enough to get over the hump to get them into the fourth spot in the college football playoff. The, uh, well, here's my take. I think it'll be Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia. One, because I have zero faith in the college football playoff committee not putting two SEC teams in. True. 
I think I think they're putting two in. Like, and I think Georgia could potentially upset Alabama. Clemson's going to beat Pitt. Notre Dame's already locked it up. I'm going to go a little contrarian here. I'm going to go Northwestern with the upset over Ohio State. Hmm. Ooh, it's the rock fighting thing, isn't it? Yep, I think that they're going to just muddy things up as much as possible, force the game into Haskins' hands, and then they're just going to do enough just to hang on. Interesting. The smart people of Evanston. Hmm, interesting, interesting pick there. I, if we had to, to suffer through Alabama and Georgia in the uh, in the playoffs, I at least want them to meet in the semifinals. Uh, just because then it limits, it, you know, it cuts the the chance of the national champion being from the SEC in half. Uh, so I'd probably go. I don't know. I don't know if Georgia's going to. I don't know if Georgia's going to win this weekend. Uh, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame. Gosh dang, Oklahoma. I I, I like your take, Hoss, on on uh, Northwestern beating Ohio State just because I hate Ohio State. Um, I the the game, you know, the Ohio State Michigan game went completely the opposite of how I thought it was going to go uh, last Same. week. But uh, I, I don't know. I think I don't think Ohio State, even with the the trouncing they gave uh, Michigan, that Purdue game is such a blemish. Uh, I don't know. And Northwestern can, you know, the, Northwestern's a well coached team. As much you know, I don't like them. I don't like Pat Fitzgerald, but they're a well coached team. I think they're going to do enough, like you said, Haas, to uh, you know keep Ohio State in check and, and out of the playoffs and, and uh, God, let's get an Oklahoma team in there that, you know, in, into the playoffs that scores 75 points and gives up 76. Cause that's probably how it happened. So, uh, I think that, good TV go at the very least. What now let me, since you said that, Hoss, let me get your guys's take real quick. Last topic as, as much or as little time as you want to spend on it. Would you rather, if you were watching a game that was not Nebraska that you had no emotional ties to, would you rather watch it? And for me, I, I can ask the same about baseball. Like, would you rather watch a pitcher's duel or a home run derby type of, of game in, in football? Would you rather watch a, a, a like a, a Michigan State Nebraska game when it was nine to six, or would you rather watch a, any game from the Big Twelve where you know the points? Are, are exponential and there's no defense. What what type of game would you prefer to watch if you had no emotional attachment to it? Well, I love offensive football. Like points, racking up points, yards, and first downs. That is, that's my definition of football. So I'd much rather watch a shootout. I, now, I, I don't like when they. Get, I don't like when the point totals get obscenely high. Like. Oklahoma, West Virginia, that's getting a little out there for me. But a good, like, 45-41, you know, 51-48 kind of game. Like, 45-41 still has some semblance of a defense out there. So, I, but I don't want to see, like, 59-56. No. I, you know, I've mentioned that I've watched more NFL than I have recently, and the reason for that is because there are some teams in the NFL that actually – can play offense and play an exciting brand of offense where they actually score points. So, you know, there's not as much of this stuff where 
one team in the NFL gets ahead by 10 points and they start running the ball up the middle for two quarters and then the other team magically catches up. Wow. I'd rather, you know, I'm with Haas. I hate to say that like that. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I like offense too. I just, you know, I, again, I'd probably say not obscene offense. I'd like to see the defense make some good plays. Here's what I'd like to see the most. I'd like to see a good offense scoring well against a good defense that still has pass rushers who are competent and defensive backs that are competent. Yeah, like defenses that are still competent, but the offense is out there just making plays. Yeah. Yeah. Works for me. One more thing. I'll go back to that Ohio State. Their problem with Ohio State with the play – the playoff committee is this. That Purdue loss gives those people on that committee an out. They basically can all sit around in a room and go, yeah, but look at this loss. If they're going to blame us for something, if people are going to complain too much, take Ohio State out of it, and we can say, well, they lost to Purdue that badly, and that's the reason, and nobody can argue with that. Yeah. I guess I guess Buckeye fans could, but they'd be useless arguments. Yeah, so they argue fans, about everything. And Buckeyes fans are pretty well useless anyway. So, uh, yay! So, all right, okay. Well, that, that's our show. We appreciate you uh, tuning in and uh, subscribing. And hey, uh, go to your podcast app of your choosing, of your preference, and uh, rate and review so that more people have the opportunity to see the Five Heart Podcast uh, when they're scrolling for a, a Husker show like ours. That's probably the best Husker podcast out there. Uh, it's certainly the number one Husker podcast on coordination.com and certainly jitterymonkey.com. So uh, tell your friends about it. Uh, we would appreciate it. And uh, you know what? Go to jitterymonkey.com slash shop and get yourself an Iowa sucks jersey or uh, not jersey shirt. Even though the game didn't go the way we wanted it to, you'll feel better knowing that Iowa sucks and you can wear that proudly upon your chest. Uh, for the next 12 months and then we'll have new uh, Huskers are better than Iowa uh, shirts and that'll be coming up uh, a year from now so that'll do it for this episode of the five heart podcast I appreciate you listening subscribing downloading sharing all that good stuff for Hoss Reuter for John Dam Jomston Jomston let me try that one again for Hoss Reuter for John Dan John son of a bitch <laughs> third time's the charm all right here we go greg yeah greg you got this i got this all right for hoss reuter for john damn johnson son of a bitch. <laughs> i'm sorry I need to either drink more or drink less, but wherever I probably I'm at. should. Uh, you probably should finish so so we can all get on with our self examinations. I don't want to know. Okay, all right. For Hoss Reuter, for John Dam Johnston, I'm Greg Mahachko. Reminding you this week and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. John, go Big Red. Win the damn off season. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.